This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. Hey, good morning. Welcome to another edition of Unholstered, where your local media and your local police department have joined forces to talk about your town, your team, and all your topics. I am just one of your hosts, Kayla Blakesley. By day, I host a radio program here in Fort Wayne, Indiana on WoWo, and I'm sitting alongside my co-host, She's the one bringing all of the credibility to this program, Sophia. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Scatina. I am captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department. And uh, welcome to our show, Unholstered. Uh, This is a show where police and media are getting together to tell you what things are going on in our police department and our community and what community members are doing here that are impactful and meaningful for everyone that lives in our area. And if you don't know where we are, we are located in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, Allen County. And uh, we're welcoming everyone to this show. It's a very special show, just like last week's show was, where we're going to talk about recovery. We're going to be talking about uh, impactful people in this community that are making a difference. Last week, you heard from uh, Nate Mullering and Tommy Streeter about the fentanyl crisis, and you heard a view from an addict's side. Um, But I wanted to bring you more than that because what's really particularly kind of something as police officers we work with is more of with families. Sometimes we don't always get the response from addicts when we're doing things, so we really have to rely on who they will go to and kind of guide them through the steps to recovery, steps to social services and things out in the community. And one of the members in this community that are doing just an amazing job with that is Jennifer Hope. She is the founder of Mom of an Addict. And Jennifer, I'm going to let you introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are. And welcome to the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, like you said, I started the Mom of an Addict. And I did that because really that's what I am. Um, My son is in recovery today, but that was not the case for about seven years where he was actively using. So I know what it's like to feel alone and scared and not want to tell anybody what you're dealing with. I know what it's like to lie awake at night wondering, you know, where is my child? Is he alive? Is he beaten up today? Has he eaten today? I know what it's like, you know, to visit your child in jail and to tell your child they can't live at home anymore knowing they will be homeless. So I think it really just boils down to, you know, I'm a mom and I don't want people to feel alone. Yeah, and it was... A couple of weeks ago, I went to Mama Addict session at the chapel. You are at the chapel every Tuesday. Yes. At six six thirty. Six thirty. Um, so if you go there, they'll direct you inside with arrows to the room. But I really found the group really inviting and welcoming, and everybody had a story to tell. And as I sat there listening to everyone, I was really moved by just people's willingness to be open about what is going on in their lives and what it has gone on with their lives. And then we watched the video. And mm-hmm. uh, what I really found remarkable is that this it didn't matter where you were economically culturally race none of that really mattered in that group everyone was there for the common goal of supporting someone who had either lost a child Mm -hmm. had a child in recovery or whose child was currently still an addict we know what it's like when we face stigma So part of our goals were to provide that place where anyone at all can come in and talk about whatever they've been facing or dealing or feeling, and nobody looks at you funny. Uh, We just kind of shake our head and raise our hand because if we're in that room, we've likely felt that or experienced that or something very similar to it at some point. 
Jen, I mean, obviously the name of your organization is Mom of an Addict, but how did it really come to fruition? I mean, Mom of an Addict is pretty self-explanatory, but can you just share your story with us? You know, the first few years where Jake was actively using, not understanding what was going on, I didn't understand substance use disorder was a genetic disease, despite my father battling alcohol from the time he was a teenager till it took his life at 54. I knew his father kind of had the same road, but the dots didn't connect. I just didn't understand why Jake would say he didn't want to live like that anymore, but he would go right back to it. So we had times of rehab that I would line up and take him, you know, lots of unhealthy conversations where I would walk away feeling crummy. You know, I'm his mom. I knew what you needed to do. You, you need to go get help and you need to you know, keep a job and, and not hang around these people and make those choices. But I realized I was basically telling him I didn't think he could do it on his own. Hmm. We had, you know, detoxes and sober living homes and times of homelessness and spent time in jail. And I lost my joy. I found myself in a place where day to day I was stressing. I was worrying from the time I would wake up from the little bit of sleep I got, because when our child is dealing with, or really any family members dealing with this, we don't sleep. There are about two times we sleep if they're in treatment or if they're in jail, because we know they're safe and alive. Mm -hmm. So I found myself becoming, I mean, I just kind of call it a crazy person doing things that I thought were helping, but really they weren't helping at all. You know, if someone has a place to live and they have a warm bed and they have food, you know, sometimes the question you have to ask is, well, why would they want to do anything differently? And I, I just want to stress, I'm never here to tell someone where their line is between loving and enabling. We all have to make the choice we can mm -hmm. live with each day. But I found myself sitting in an ER lobby and a social worker came out probably just a typical, hey, let's assess the family situation. And I remember what I felt like on the inside. So I can only imagine what I looked like on the outside. And he spoke to me very briefly and he paused and he leaned toward me, looked me square in the eye and said three things I will never forget. He said, you need to take care of yourself. This kid might not make it and you need to go to Al-Anon. And I remember thinking, he might not make it. Mm -hmm. What's Al-Anon? That's what I'm wondering, yeah. Well, I found that Al-Anon is the family support group associated with AA or Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went to a meeting and I started going pretty regularly and I learned some things about what's in my control and what's not in my control. And then I started doing some education on my own. I started learning about the disease and then the dots started connecting. Oh, my, my dad, his father, my son, you know, we're dealing with a genetic condition here this isn't a matter of someone gets up every day and chooses to use you know that's a whole discussion we could have for probably three hours of is this a disease or a choice mm -hmm. but I realized nobody nobody wants that life nobody chooses that we're dealing with something like diabetes or heart disease this is something that runs in families so up until that point I was pretty quiet I didn't really let anyone know what we were dealing with I didn't want them to think, oh, your, your son's bad, or you're a bad mom. How could you let your child do drugs, or any of those things? And then I, I started to let a few close friends know. 
and they loved me. Thankfully, they didn't get it, mm-hmm. but but they still loved me through it. And then my son sought treatment on his own after, like I said, seven years. So this was in 2017 okay. when he sought treatment on his own. He realized because all of his family members have said, look, we love you, but you can't live here anymore. I'd started changing my communication with him. You know, I wouldn't engage in the arguments. I I would just say, you know, Jake, you're an adult and you're going to make decisions and you're going to deal with what happens, good or bad. But I believe you can make good decisions for your own life. And he'll tell you today that that's kind of where even though I wasn't letting him live with us, wasn't giving him money, he knew I hadn't given up. And then once he went to treatment, people would ask, you know, oh, where's, you know, how, how are your kids? Where's Jake? Well, he's in West Virginia. Is that where he is still now? Yes. He went to treatment this last time in West Virginia. And they would say, oh, is he there for a job or school? And I just confidently, without a, losing a beat, I'd say, no, he's in a long-term drug rehab. And I could physically see people relax. And then about nine times out of ten, they'd start telling me about someone they knew or someone in their family who had been battling the same thing. So at that point, I just kind of started feeling this tug. You know, there's other people feeling like you do. So I enrolled in graduate school. I was going to get a master's degree in counseling, and I started working for a local community health center, and I got some great education, and I was having coffee with a friend. It was... New Year's Eve day morning of 18 going into 19. And my friend, she won't mind me saying her name, my friend Bambi said, you know, well, you know, let's talk about life and what are you doing and why are you going to school? And I said, well, I I just feel like I need to get this degree and I need these letters behind my name before anyone thinks that I have something worth offering. And she just kind of paused and looked at me and she said, well, I think you have all the experience anyone you want to help cares about. And I sat with that for a while, and, uh, you know, a couple other things happened, but really where it all spurred was I read a book the year before by an author named Bob Goff. And in the back of his book, he puts his phone number. So I thought, well, I read his second book before I read the first book, so I really didn't know what he changed his career from. I just knew he changed his career, and he started a nonprofit and was helping kids in schools in another country. So I called him up, and he answered the phone. No kidding. Yeah, it was really cool. (laughs) Amazing. And I told him who I was and what I wanted to do. I said, you know, do you have any guidance for me about setting up a nonprofit? And he said, well, you can call an attorney and pay him $5,000, or you can get on Amazon and buy this book, and if you don't have it done by Tuesday, there's a problem. Huh. Okay. So I got online, and I ordered the book, and I followed it, and I had sticky notes everywhere, and I made lists, and I I just figured out how to incorporate with the state and form a board and file with the IRS, and... And here you are, just, Mom of an Addict is yeah. a thriving nonprofit right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah, we had our first meeting in June of 2019, and over 65 people came. Wow. We had a small room, and people were out in the hallway. There's no more powerful determination than a mom on a mission. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. And I not. can say that about a lot of things. Yeah. But what, as, you, as you talk, I'm, like, inspired, um, and, and I, use, I picked up a couple of things you said where you— th- felt you had to have some kind of degree 
mm-hmm. for this. And I've generally figured out in the course of my 50-year life that those things don't matter to people. They want genuineness. Mm-hmm. They want honesty. They right. want straight talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we do here. So I'm glad you're sharing this story straight with us. And, you know, to those people listening that may have someone like what what is your key advice to someone who may have someone in their family that is struggling with addiction right now like what is what is the first step to move in a direction to help someone that is a, that is how do I want to say this that is probably the most powerful thing you can do is it letting go sometimes that has to be the first thing we want people to know is you know they're not alone I felt like I was the only yeah. mom right. and I would lie awake at night wondering, oh, how did I mess up so badly? Yeah. But that's not the case. So once we, you know, kind of get people to grasp that idea that they're not the only one and substance use disorder is not the result of a parenting failure or any familial failure. Did I say that word right? Yes. <laughs> um, and it's not a moral flaw on the person. We get them to maybe start thinking about the fact that we can only control ourselves. I need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I can't be any good to anyone else if I'm neglecting my health. And I did that for years. Yeah. And, you know, this Tuesday, just a little funny story. It was September 21st. And, you know, the old Earth, Wind, and Fire song, you know, the 21st night of September. Well, I had been warning everybody on Tuesday before our lesson, we were going to dance. <laughs> now, that's never happened before, but in our PowerPoint presentation, I had that. I, I had everyone stand up, and I said, okay, here we go. I've promised this. We're going to dance, because the point of that was to remember that no matter what's going on, we should still try to have fun and laugh. Yeah. And sometimes we have to make some hard choices. Yeah. Your mental health is so important, and it's mental health awareness month mm-hmm. um so i think that's why we're bringing this kind of month-long segment on addiction recovery keeping your cup full so you can pour into others mm-hmm. right um and and we can do that in all our lives it's not just uh if, if you have someone with addiction but you know i i find myself too is you know trying to do things for your kids and trying to do things for work and trying to do things for your family it gets taxing and you don't really take time mm-hmm. out for yourself um, so I, I struggle with that too, that self-care, you know, I feel a little guilty when I'm being a little selfish. I'll with let my you time. know when that lesson's coming back mm-hmm. up. <laughs> <laughs> Please do, because I, I really need to be there for that. Um, but, you know, we talked to, uh, when we talked to Nate and Tommy, they said something that I, I kind of was like a little shocked by. Um, but, you know, they were giving us, again, that straight talk that we appreciate so much. But they said that parents need to create healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. And kicking a child out of a home is important because the last thing a parent wants to do is to find their son or daughter deceased in their home. In their home. Because they said the parent never recovers from that. We talk about healthy boundaries and, you know, my boundary and your boundary or someone else's boundary, they might not be the same. My boundary today may not be what my boundary is tomorrow. We encourage people to make the choice they can live with each day. But... We also let them know a boundary is not a punishment for another person. A boundary is to protect my well-being or someone else in the home's well-being. And, you know, for us, like I said, our boundary was you can't live here. 
Now, that didn't happen overnight, and we would try again and think, oh, we'll give, you know, one more chance. It, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, when everyone else had put that boundary around, that's when Jake sought treatment. And, you know, I don't get to control the outcomes for families, and I know some families, you know, their outcome isn't the same as ours today. Today's good. I don't know what tomorrow brings. Right. But, you know, those boundaries are for ourselves. Yeah, and I know it's how hard it is as an officer, and I'm being on the street and going to these runs where you know we go and it's it's a we call it a 32, a dead body. Uh, we we don't think there's anything kind of at foul at play, so it's but you look around and it's obvious there's drug use. Mm-hmm. So our our main thing is okay, this is an overdose. It's difficult, you know, the um, sheer amount that we're seeing here in oh, our community sure. and throughout the country, right? This is this is huge. I mean, like I think ninety thousand people in twenty twenty died. Yes. Uh, of overdose, and I hear people saying um, fentanyl poisoning. Fentanyl poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be careful with that because I don't know that it's fentanyl until the tox reports come back. Correct. But still, it's a dr- some type of drug overdose, drug death. But really, no one's talking about it. Right. We're, we're right. talking about it here on the show and, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of other things in the country, but this is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. the amount of drugs seized on the border, the amount of drugs seized by law enforcement, even in our own community. Uh, I think we were up to forty three hundred grams compared to nine hundred grams last year. So it's an astronomical amount of drugs being seized just here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you think more people are talking about this? Stigma. I think that's a huge part of it. To kind of piggyback off that, I think it's a lot of the guilt and the shame, and you kind of even alluded to that, Jennifer, you know, that people carry around, uh, especially as parents, you know, I'm a bad mom for for having an addict as a son, or I'm a bad sibling for not helping out my brother or sister more. You know, there's just so much guilt and shame that other family members carry around as well in this kind of a situation that I think really hinders people from talking about it. And, and it's because ultimately of this stigma, I guess I wish, you know, any thoughts on how we do remove that stigma? We remove it by, by doing exactly what you're doing. So I thank you very much for being willing to talk about this by talking about it, making it, you know, we shouldn't feel any differently going to the doctor for something we can't see like depression, anxiety, substance use disorder, we shouldn't feel any differently than, okay, I've got bronchitis, mm-hmm. but that's that's not the case. So, you know, our Recovery Rocks event that we had a couple weeks ago at Sweetwater, one of our goals is, you know, first we want to spread hope, but ending the stigma. And when we can talk about it and have conversations about it, hopefully others are going to realize they're not the only one mm-hmm. and that help is available and they can learn to manage this. How does... Jake, your son, feel about you having and leading this nonprofit? You know, that is a great question. I and someone mentioned, you know, she runs a nonprofit and her daughter's kind of the face of that. And she said Jake actually had some good advice for her and some good perspective. You know, he doesn't live here in this state. His name isn't really tied in the name of the nonprofit, and he does come speak at our event. You know, he doesn't want people to die mm-hmm. or to be alone. Uh, he works for the treatment center 
where he went four years ago. No kidding. As, yeah, he's also in law school. So That's amazing. Yeah, miracles still happen, yeah. I promise. I didn't think that this day would that this day would come. Right. I always say if your loved one's still alive, there's, there's hope. always hope for recovery. Always. We, always hope. Always hope just for a better life. Right. We don't know what day they're going to wake up and say, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And that goes for the family members, too. Yeah. We have to have that moment where we say, oh, I can't live like this anymore. So yeah. what was Jake's advice to the other young woman who's, whose mother has a similar nonprofit? I don't know, and I didn't ask because that was a conversation between the yeah. two of them. Is it bad that I'm, like, curious to know what the <laughs> No, because I'll be honest. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious now, too. I'm curious, too. So. <laughs> um, but the way he spoke, I went to Recovery Rocks a couple weeks ago. I, I wanted to see what it was about. Um, I like to support you and what you're doing. Thank you. I think it's such an I enormous it. Um, undertaking, especially with no one doing much about this, no one helping families of addicts, no one helping addicts. But it, I was really shocked, even as a law enforcement officer, and I know I work in community relations as well, so I know services around here, but I didn't know that there were so many that were available. Mm -hmm. um, I was surprised by the amount of treatment centers that we had that are legitimate treatment centers. Right. Not the fly-by-night, um, here, drink this tea, and you'll be fine kind of treatment. Yeah, but, that's important to point out, yes. Sophia. <laughs> legitimate treatment centers that, that help, and then organizations that are supportive to those the recovery efforts. Because you need that. You need Not only do you need recovery, but you also need um, spiritual Mm -hmm. things that help um, whether you're religious or not doesn't matter you Community. still need some kind of spirituality mm -hmm. to get you through um, so I was I was really delighted to see all that but what really kind of made me happy I attended was listening to the speakers and there was one gentleman at the end um, and I do not remember his name Rob uh, Rob in blue shirt yes mm -hmm. he was amazing and I think if everyone could hear what he was saying on that stage uh, I think we'd all be better for it. But he did talk about, you know, people not giving up on him. There was always someone somewhere that believed in him, and he had to figure out to believe in himself. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a guy with several felonies in prison, uh, in the system, uh, repeatedly <laughs> going through rehab. Um, but it was just such an inspirational story to just be sitting there and listening to and knowing you know, sometimes as law enforcement, we go out, we make these arrests. We go out and we shoot the Narcan. We're there with the medics when they shoot the Narcan. But we never really see what happens after, right? You know, we're there. I was telling Kayla, I've been to one and three times in a 24-hour period. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it gets frustrating. Uh, we had this whole conversation on mm -hmm. how, how do we re retain our empathy for people struggling, and it wasn't until a friend of mine whose son struggles kind of broke down and cried about things she had heard other people saying about her, about people in addiction, mm -hmm. that it really just kind of hit me like, oh my gosh, I, I, I gotta be better. I have to be better. And knowing that that's someone's child, um, knowing that that's someone's parent, someone's spouse, mm -hmm. someone's loved one, um, really kind of brings you back. But it, d it does take a certain amount of effort oh i'm sure to maintain the empathetic side of that because it's just it's it's so much these days it's every time you turn around it's it's there and i'm like why don't you stop yeah and it, it's hard some advice from you about empathy 
for people look from the outside looking in? Mm -hmm. Say this hasn't, for some odd reason, not touched their family in some way. I know most people, even though they won't admit it, this has touched their family in some way. Sure, one in 10 adults in our country is battling addiction to some substance. Right, and then the children of that mm -hmm. as well. So our, our, our foster care system is overwhelmed just by the removal of children from parents who are, who are addicts. I'm sure it is. Um, it, it's, it's, it's about ready to burst. Um, so, Well, I think you touched on it is that person, first off, they're a person, they're a human, and they have a family, and people love them. And we don't know what anyone we meet is battling. You know, there's all kinds of addictions, shopping, pornography, gambling. Right. We hide things well in our country. We yeah. really do. You know, we, we want that perfect, you know, my Facebook highlight reel. It all looks great. Nothing's yeah. wrong with me. But we're all broken. We're all broken in our own way. And I think it's just look at people like they're a person and not a disease. And remember, there's no discrimination. And, and in any day... It could be your family member, and, and just think of how you would want your family member to be treated. Yeah. Really quick, Jen, before we let you go, I mean, sure. obviously I know the organization is called Mom of an Addict, mm -hmm. uh, but do you have to be a mom of an addict, you know, to no. attend? What if it's a brother or a sister or a parent or, you know, that, that kind of situation? We have spouses, siblings, grandparents, children. We are open to all family members. There's, you know, obviously a story behind our name. But it's just really meant to kind of convey the fact that there's no discrimination mm -hmm. and it can be any of us. Any of us can be the mom of an addict. How can someone listening right now find your group? Uh, we have a Facebook page. Um, you can find us online at themomofanaddict.org and click on the meeting location tab. Uh, we do have the meeting in Fort Wayne on Tuesdays at 630 at the chapel. We meet on Thursdays in Warsaw at Pathway. And we are holding a facilitator's training probably early November, late October to start some new meeting locations around town because we know Tuesday at 630 doesn't work for everyone. Man, Jennifer, you just, um, you're such a remarkable person. You have been a delight to have here with us. I just so appreciate your, your transparency and your vulnerability to attempt to remove the stigma as we were talking about earlier and just really share your story with everyone it's it's beautiful you go girl that's all i mean that's well, thank you thank you so much yeah. for everything you do for this community and helping those who are struggling we really appreciate that well i say the same to both of you so it was an honor to be here sophia what are we doing next week Next week, we're going to have um, someone from our police department is going to come on and talk about our peer support group. We're going to talk about officer mental health to round out Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and um, we're looking for, I'm looking forward to talking with him and getting more in-depth about what we do in our own police department to help our own officers who may be struggling a little bit uh, with what they're seeing and what they're doing. And in the meantime, until one week from today, you can listen to any of the Unholstered podcasts online, anywhere you can download a podcast. It's your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.